Well, good morning. Welcome to everyone to the Ag Market Network monthly cotton teleconference. My name is Pat McClatchy. Uh, this program is brought to you by our longtime sponsors, Fibermax and Stonewall, and also Cotton Incorporated. Uh, we are great, very grateful uh, to them for their support over the years. They realize how important market news is to farmers, and we do appreciate them. Our cotton market discussion will be led by Dr. O.A. Cleveland, and he will be joined by our cotton panel of Gerald Nieper, Dr. John Robinson, and Kip Butts. And uh, the format is we're going to introduce O.A., let him speak about the crop report and other things, and then we'll open it up to the panel, and then we will open it up to questions. So when we unmute the phones at that point, feel free to ask any question of our panel that you'd like. Uh, O.A., good morning. Thanks for joining us and giving us your thoughts on cotton. Good morning, Pat, and good morning, everyone. And I very much appreciate that caveat you offered there when you introduced me to said I would speak on the report and other things. Uh, that's uh, that's going to be the fun part. That You know, a most interesting report that told us a lot of what we expected, in my opinion, uh, I certainly had some, some pre-guesstimates incorrect. In I thought the U.S. crop would be smaller, but I, as I said it would be smaller, I said I don't know why I'm saying this because the new seed varieties that we have have proven me wrong time and time again, and it's way past time that I buy into the fact, the reality, that these varieties are just uh, more than outstanding and continue to give and give and give in spite of some very inclement weather conditions. But the five numbers I wanted to look at in this report, one, U.S. carryover. Uh, USDA gave us another 800,000 bales in carryover, a very substantial increase in ending stocks that uh, just, to me, just really bears things up. It's uh, it, To me, it's just a pipe dream to think that the market can overcome that. Yet, as we briefly commented before the show started, the market's up a little bit. The uh, second number to talk about, in my opinion, is world carryover up in round numbers, about two and a quarter billion bales, a very substantial number in the record territory area for world carryover. Uh, 105 million bales, uh, just just astonishing. Uh, we can play some percentage games there, but uh, just look at the raw numbers. Uh, uh, it's just uh, very scary of the situation. Uh, the third thing we drop down the number is Chinese consumption down 500,000 bales. We're selling a lot of cotton to China. China has a lot of cotton. Uh, dropping that number, that uh, that uh, domestic consumption number in China, down a half a million bales. The uh, the most significant number in the report, and I, I'm sure I get a few snickers, but about, without question, to me, the most significant number in in the report was U.S. domestic consumption uh, at. 2 million bales, 2.2 million bales for the entire 2019-2020 year. Uh, that's just no cotton whatsoever. We export more cotton to China on a monthly basis than we use or did use in 2019-20 on, on a monthly basis. It's staggering. 
to think that we walked away from that market. We did nothing to service that market. It's, it's disgusting. I know, well, COVID, COVID, COVID. Well, everything is COVID right now. Uh, but to see domestic consumption just completely tank, uh, record low domestic consumption uh, here in the United States is just unfathomable. And to think that the industry gets absolutely no support from the cotton industry. Uh, another item that we look at, the world stocks, I mentioned up about two and a quarter million bales. The, uh, what we get into that, and we see that uh, U.S. stocks, uh, uh, just uh, again, as I mentioned, up 800,000 bales, uh, made up approximately, you pull better numbers probably, but about 40% of the world increase sitting here in the United States month on month. You get world less China carryover, it's up. You get the carryover in major uh, exporters, that's up a billion bales. That's who we compete with, the other exporters. Their carryover is up a million bales. You get major importers, that's who we sell cotton to. Well, their carryover, everybody's carryover is up. And we're sitting here with the basically record carryover. What are we going to do with this cotton? Well, you know, I've preached it, preached it, been wrong and wrong and, and often wrong. But if we expect the sale of exports to China to save this market, to save this situation, it's just totally laughable. China's not going to buy that much cotton. Yeah, they're buying more. Yeah, the administration has their feet to the fire, and they're doing what they said they'd do basically with respect to cotton. And I think there'll be more coming. I don't think there'll be a lot more coming. Already their stocks are larger than they were last year. Uh, their consumption is down, as I mentioned, to half a million bales. So you know, exports to China are not going to save anything. Uh, well, it's, it's just a situation that uh, has us a bit buffaloed. We look at this 2.2 million bale domestic consumption. Uh, and as I indicated, it, which it's this is it's a record low number. Uh, oh, with the COVID situation, we would have used more than a bull roar. That's that's just ridiculous. Yeah, we would have used more, but we want a path to be there anyway. And looking at another USDA number there, that I think what had us 2.7 million bales for the 2021 season. Well, I I hope we can come back a half million bales, but I doubt it. That's uh, realistic at all. There's so much drama in the market. It's China, China, China. We are expecting China to save us. Uh, but week after week, we look at exports. There's no, there, there are no export sales. They're very, very minor. Of course, I guess we're getting a number as we speak right now. Maybe it's huge. What sales we are seeing right now are very low-grade cotton. How many of you are going to make you living uh, growing, producing low-grade cotton? That's all it's selling right now. We're basically not competitive at all. U.S. cotton is not. So it's, it's, it's just totally non-competitive. Uh, and, and, and again, selling the low sales, look at uh, inventories, CCC inventories, inventories are given the United States. They're mostly made up of Southeast South inventories, uh, and they're quality, and they're just simply not moving. Uh, the thing that galls me a great deal is we look at uh, U.S. Uh, 
U.S. apparel imports uh, up up a billion dollars in June. June apparel imports up one billion dollars. That was cotton. Yeah, back to school. Back to school. Oh, it's going to be so good for cotton. Used to be so good for cotton. Uh, now it's good for synthetics. Back to school. You know, maybe 15% cotton. Um, and, and the big bell cow for cotton. Uh, we're beginning to lose that market. Name a market we're not losing. Losing every single market there is. Uh, and it's gotten so bad, those that talk about, well, let's look at this market. Let's try to delve into this market. Let's take some of that market. Time after time after time, the cotton industry says, well, that market's better suited for polyester. That market's better suited for polyester. It seems like everybody's saying those markets are better suited for polyester. So, you know, what the heck we need you for? You can't find anything or and, and come up with any work that's going to be positive for moving cotton. Uh, I mean, who's trying to protect that? Who's trying to protect the cotton grower? Who's trying to come up with a, a plan to sell cotton on behalf of the U.S. cotton grower? No one is. Uh, look at the athletic realities. We know all of our teams have switched to yours and mine have switched to polyester. Texas Tech used to be with us, but they caved last year. Uh, so no longer no, no, can we give kudos to that once great cotton school. But you've got $6.1 billion in athletic royalties. 98% of that goes to the synthetic industry because we've not had the kahunis to force our universities to use cotton out there. We just sit back and wait, clap when they win a ball game and send them more money. Uh, we have to, in my opinion, drop back and thank the seed companies. As I say, they may prove me wrong week after week, month after month with these yields. Uh, the seed companies are the only group in the cotton industry talking about sustainability. A lot of people talk about it. I don't think very few people in the industry understand what sustainability is. They've lost their way. How in the world did we just roll over and play dead and let synthetics take the synthetic issue from us, make us the ones that were not uh, sustainable? It's make the cotton industry non-sustainable. It's just ridiculous. But we laid over and let that happen. Uh, you, the, the, you turn back and you look at... Uh, of course, the one thing we know about seed varieties, you know, Brazil produces something like 8.05 uh, bales per hectare. Well, that sounds like a lot. Uh, is a good bit. We used we we deal in bales per acre, but the world deals in bales per hectare. And with Brazil at 8.05, that's a record. U.S. yield 938 pounds per acre. Uh, not a bad yield. It, uh, we talk about being a record, but that's only about 4.88 bales per hectare, well less than what maybe 60 percent of what Brazil gets. Now you get into Mississippi, Missouri, those high yielding states, you're into about 7.8 bales per hectare. So uh, our genetics are there, which just depends on the ground that we can get them on. And of course, Brazil has the advantage there with the very large-scale farms and uh, very, very, very excellent uh, ground to work on. Uh, 
So the only thing that's keeping the cop industry competitive right now, the only thing, would be our USC companies. That's the only item that's keeping us us competitive. Uh, so we, we, we've got to look to some way to be able to promote cotton, to sell cotton, to find markets for cotton. And that's where we're actually failing, failing miserably. Uh, there's absolutely no work going on to promote cotton and move it into the marketplace. And growers are set back and let that happen. I mean, a, a growing itself ought to be a little bit ashamed that they've set back and let that happen, not stepped up with the big set and said, hey, guys, we got to do something about this. It just year after year and month after month, you just get beat up. You just get beat up. I know some people who want to fuss at me for making these comments, but as long as you spend your time fussing at me, you're not selling any cotton. You're not opening any markets. But we've just decided that market after market cotton can't compete in. So we don't even try. Uh, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. That, that pretty much... Uh, tells my story for today, and if you hadn't figured it out, I'm very bearish. <laughs> well, we we got that. <laughs> okay. Let's open it up. Anybody else want to come in, make some comments on the report, or, or really anything else? <clears throat> Pat, this is Gerald. What, what, you're, you're talking that you're listening there for someone else to come in. I you may have said it. I was having to fiddle with my numbers, but uh, uh, as you said, we are very Christians Cotton Incorporated for their support and also for the support of uh, we get from uh, Stoneville and Cybermax. Uh, they're prominent and long-time supporters. Gerald, did you have any comments? Well, I was just going to say that, you know, we've got – I always like to look at exportable supplies of various countries and, and – uh, you know, Brazil um, has an exportable supply this year of uh, 22 million bales. They had an exportable supply in 2019 of 22 million. India this year has an exportable supply of almost 22 million bales, 17 million bales last year. And the United States has an exportable supply in excess of 20 million. So you've got three countries with an exportable supply in excess of 20 million bales and USDA is estimating imports or exports at what forty, I think. <laughs> so that, that's just another way of saying what OA was trying to say. We got a lot of cotton out there, and it's got to move into a market. And uh, um, it's going to be tough here at, uh, at at these price levels. Kept any thoughts? Well, I mean, I've listened to what both these men have said, and I, I can't agree more. We, we've got one of the largest – we have an ample supply of cotton in a situation where the mill use, global mill use, looks to be uh, at least not aggressively growing. So we're in a scenario where prices in – typical fundamental fashion should be significantly lower than what we're seeing today. And it makes one wonder why there's this incredible disconnect between the ice futures market and what typically is the fundamental market, which ice typically trades in the future. So 
there, there seems to be this massive disconnect between what's going on in the futures market and what's going on, uh, it appears, in, these, in the physical markets. So the comment that Gerald made a, a moment ago that we, these three countries have a great exportable surplus, I see that uh, in Kotluk they do uh, the five cheapest prices, and the, of the three he talked about, two of them are the cheapest and the second cheapest. The U.S. is not even one of the five. You have to go out uh, about eight places before you see the U.S. price, and U.S. is tied primarily to the ICE futures. I, th I think we've got a problem with price discovery, um, that's uh, that goes a little bit back. We circle around to uh, to what LA was saying. These synthetic prices uh, in China, which is the largest uh, mill user in the world, is uh, something less than half of the price of cotton landed to the mills. So I'm uh, I'm concerned that we're in a situation that the uh, at least as we speak, the ice futures is not reflecting that most of us think is the reality. It's just something I'm... Anybody have any comments that can help me out? Well, uh, let me just chime in. I, I think we might have a price discovery uh, issue or problem for a while, but I, it may just be lagged and it may catch up with us. And I'm thinking when the, when the weather premium and the, and the production question is finally settled and that uncertainty goes away, I don't see what's going to be holding holding up ice futures after that when all you've got left is, you know, demand disruption and uncertainty because of, you know, pandemic sheltering and, and a weaker economy and a great big, huge world supply. Um, I, you know, it, it may, it may get more realistically low that that is coming, I think. Well, we've had this discussion before over time when we, when we're trying to decide, well, why is the market not matching up with fundamentals? And oftentimes that 800-pound gorilla in the room or the big speculators. So does anybody got any comments about that? Commitment to traders has certainly shown they had been buying the market. Is that the reason that we're at these levels we're at? That's one theory. And, and um, you know, every, every summer, every summer the hedge fund type guys you know, get on a bandwagon and, and run the market up on some, you know, weather scare or whatever. They, that, they do that all the time. The, uh, the index fund guys are, they were up, was it 5,000 contracts week over week in the last report? I don't remember. But the index fund guys have been building their position, and that kind of goes to this theory of, of um uh, you know, inflation and printing money on the part of world um, sovereign banks, and and those guys are going to are are ramping up in response to that. And you know, all commodity prices, or most commodity prices, are going up in response to money printing. And I, I, I you know, I think we're dealing with that. Maybe we're dealing with a little bit of a contrarian theory that uh, China has, has said that they're going to be the big bull in the coffee shop. They're going to do all the buying. And all you have to do is look around. You see, that's the only country that is buying for all practical purposes. And we know they're going to be big buyers. Uh, the, 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 the 
trade agreement puts them in that situation. They've shown that they are big buyers. Uh, the uh, Communist Party is actually the, the single group that's buying that cotton. They have selected uh, one, two, three merchants that they buy that cotton from. Uh, they buy the cotton in on futures. The information starts to come out. Futures run up. Uh, they offset those futures, make a few cents in, in, in the futures, uh, and then they release the information that sales have been made and the market comes back down. So they've got a good profit in futures. They've bought some cotton. And until that, uh, until they decide that they're going to quit buying cotton, uh, it's, uh, the market's going to stay a little bit inflated because it allows them and their uh, middlemen to uh, to make a bit of a profit in the futures market. And consequently, it holds that up. And when that's all said done, the market drops back down to to where, where fundamentals would say it is. And your first inclination is to say, no, well, no, that will never happen. Uh, well, <laughs> my first inclination is to say that's exactly what's happened. Nothing illegal, nothing absolutely wrong about it. It's just that we've boxed ourselves in with uh, basically no one buying the cotton other than one co component, that being China, and they have the pockets to stay in there, uh, and they end up getting their cotton four or five cents cheaper than they would otherwise. You know, one of the few so, advantages so that our, we've got left... I was going to say one of the few advantages that we've got left is, is I, if it's an advantage at all, and that's partially helping us, is a, is a weaker dollar. And uh, it, it looks like it's probably going to end up getting cheaper over time anyway. So that, you know, that's, that uh, goes part and parcel with what John was saying a little earlier in terms of these inflationary expectations. Yeah. Well, that would be good if somebody was buying cotton. Yeah, yeah. Today's export sales report. Today's export sales report didn't uh, <laughs> doesn't make a bull out of anybody. That's for sure. I don't think so. Well, for our farm listeners, what what suggestions do we have for them as far as any marketing thoughts or hedging goes? We're right now trading at sixty two fifty four, up thirty four. Um, as we know, it got to sixty five here. Uh, over the last week, uh, and then back back off. What what do we suggest to farmers? I think the fact that well, it's the, August and it's sorry that's August. It's gotten to sixty five twice. The, the the weather market and the heat and whatever in, in the southern plains is, has been baked in. I, I wouldn't be sitting here expecting more and new and better. Um, if, I mean, if it got back to 65, I'd, I'd sell in hedge, maybe. Um, I, I don't think I don't think it's in the cards for much more than than the mid 60s. You know, there there might be one last hurrah here this summer. It's August. It could get. It is hot and dry again. Um, that's going to cut into yield um, potential, and 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 maybe the September production estimate will be a downshift over the August one. They all, that could all happen, and there could be a few little surprises, but that's here in the short term. So I wouldn't be holding and hoping for much better than what we've had up to this point. Yeah, we're not completely out of the woods yet on the weather. 
Um, you know, Colorado State is, you know, estimated one of the most active hurricane seasons, you know, ever. Um, in fact, I guess if you look at their list of names for hurricanes, that you know, they, and if they all come about, you know, we'd actually get into the, the Greek alphabet. So, um, so there's, there's still weather yet to, to, to possibly play a story in, in cotton. But, but even with weather, I mean, what, at some point, you know, that's not necessarily going to hurt yield as much as it could possibly hurt quality. And uh, uh, so, you know, all is not lost in terms of an upside. But uh, really, probably once you get past about mid-September, it's going to be difficult to start arguing weather anymore to, to have an impact on prices. Well, this so to John's point, to John's point, you know, 64 to 66 cents, I don't think we've seen that for the last time. But, uh, um, you know, the next time we're up in, in that area, you know, I think a producer's got to be active either buying puts or going ahead and, and just, just sell the, the rest of your crop if, if you think it's made out there and uh, look for some, you know, some cheap call sometime in the, in the late fall in that November time period when we typically make our lows and, and uh, uh, you know, protect yourself against if the market decides to just run on back up again. Well, okay, let's, make, let's open it up. If, again, if, we're going to have to see somebody besides China buy cotton. China's the only yeah. person buying cotton. And I don't, uh, you know, weather's weather. I've been a huge proponent of talking weather. So, I mean, I'm, I'm so bared up, I don't care to hear you talk about weather. I think it's out of the picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, just look at what the seed companies have given us on a variety standpoint and a yield standpoint. And the big hurricane that did destroy the what, south uh, South Texas crop or the, the uh, coastal bend crop of what was that four years ago that came in, uh, and we always oh, started taking this crop down, 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 and we saw all this cotton on the ground, blood knocked out. Said, you know, that crop's going to be down 40%, 30%. Lo and behold, it left so much fruit on the plant, the new varieties that we weren't familiar with, and it gave us, I'm going to use a little loose, be a little loose here, it gave us something, just phenomenal yields, yields we would have never have guessed. And all of a sudden, that weather event was a total non-event. We thought it was major. Uh, I'm just part of my bearish comments. Cotton growers are going to have to wake up, and they're going to have to start pulling some strings to make sure that they get their cotton sold, that they get their cotton promoted. They're going to have to quit saying, well, I don't wear much polyester, I just a little bit. They're going to have to say, if I'm going to grow cotton, I'm going to wear cotton. Uh, that's very simplistic sounding, but that's what it is. You've been beat up in every single place for the past 15 years. And it gets worse every year, and you sit there and you do nothing. Well, we, this sure is the time. Okay, let's open it up. Right. Let's let's open it up for questions and allow people that are out there listening, if they've got any questions, to be able to <clears throat> ask of our group. So let's uh, let's open this thing up for questions. Do we have any questions out there of any of our speakers?
Pat, while we're waiting for someone to formulate a question, I'd like to make a comment regarding uh, the demand for cotton along the lines that uh, that OA was talking about. But we're in a scenario here where with the COVID-19 pandemic, that world milieus is just off. And we've got a lot of factors going on. Uh, the China-U.S. Uh, trade uh, trade pact and, quote, trade war almost at the same time. Uh, there's a lot of cross-currents in this market. I think the bigger problem we're going to have is just trying to get the consumer out here to buy cotton products. Uh, so... We, this is the time of year to talk about supply, but we need to think about demand. And, and I hate to just keep throwing bearish factors in here, but I'm afraid that the last estimate we saw for our mill use is going to turn out to be too high before this year is over, unless something changes dramatically. Absolutely. All right, guys. Let me, let me just interrupt by saying this, and, and then we'll go ahead. We've got a malfunction on our ability to unmute this. We've got here in Memphis... Uh, some difficulty with uh, with the, with our Wi-Fi, so I apologize for that. But it looks like we're not going to be able to have questions coming in. We can still hear each other on the phone here. That's not affected, so my apologies. But there will not be any questions coming in because of this, you know, difficulty. Sorry, Pat. I don't want to keep throwing no. cold water on this market at all. But I, I would be interested before we get into a pricing round to. A, a demand round from the standpoint of exports, and now your permission to start that out. I just, I, so USDA is showing 15 million bales of exports. I'm just hoping and hoping it'll be 14, 13 and a half million bales. I don't know who's going to buy it. Absolutely. There's so much competition out there. Uh, Gerald and Kip went through the countries. Everybody has cotton. All the importers already have cotton. The major exporters already have cotton. I mean, have more cotton than ever. Uh, the, the margins are so narrow, the U.S. ends up being so high-priced that uh, it's going to be difficult to, to sell 15 million bales. And I'm, I'm a full million bales below that. And as far as domestic consumption is concerned, we just boo it because it's so small. But uh, USDA ran it back up to, what, 2.7, 2.8 million coming off of this this year's 2.2 million. I don't see that rebounding that well. I think what we're seeing is, is a cotton industry affected just like many other industries. This is not going to be a month-to-month recovery. It's going to be a year-to-year recovery. And that's the difficult part that we're facing. Well, let's get into price projections. That's, that, uh, let's see what – let's start off with, with uh, let's say, Gerald. Gerald, give us your thoughts on where this market can go to, uh, the upside and downside. Well, as I said earlier, I don't think we're quite finished with, you know, let's say somewhere in the 64 to 66-cent range. You know, getting through 65 cents would probably require a you know, an act of Congress, but, uh, you know, there's a possibility there, you know, to, uh, uh, to, to always point, you know, and I, I, you wonder why we're not in the, in the low fifties now today, 
you know, the, the way things stand. But uh, I think eventually we're going to see something, you know, in, in, in the, the mid to low 50s. So, you know, let's call it 52 to, to 66 cents for, for lack of a better range right now over the, over the course of the, of the year. Okay. Uh, John? Uh, I'll just save time and say I agree with that. 52 to 66. Okay. Okay. Kip? I can't disagree with that. My only bias would be uh, because I'm, I'm at heart a fundamentalist. And I think that the 52 cents uh, may not be low enough. We're probably, if we look historically at the prices, and we'd be looking at either the second largest rural carryout or what I'm afraid may be a new record large carryout, we should see prices into the uh, at least the, the mid to high 40s for the lows. Uh, and that's certainly not beyond the realm of possibility. I think you mentioned what should farmers be doing. If we see that 66 cents, uh, which is certainly not unlikely, uh, but if we see that, they need to get some, some cotton sold, maybe even sell some calls and buy some cheap puts, uh, which I, I think Gerald suggested and, and John did too. So that's sort of where I'm thinking. I, I'm a little bit more bearish uh, given the underlying fundamentals. Okay, OA? Well, I like Gerald's comment. It'll take an act of Congress. Of course, we know Congress is going to do absolutely <laughs> nothing. Uh, and as long as the political channel has been opened, I, I, and I'm not campaigning, I do know who I'll vote for. But uh, even if you go to Barron's or if you go to the Wall Street Journal, you'll see that agriculture has been blessed and will be blessed by the current administration and not by any other administration. So if you're interested in ag, you better pay attention to that. Where would ag be without the current administration's cash inflows that have been made over the last several months? But uh, I'm very much one to think that uh, we are done. Yeah, we may get up to 65 cents, Mike. Uh, see, absolutely no reason whatsoever to break above it. That resistance at that level has built so 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 deep. Uh, so we do get another hurricane, and we lose 200,000 bales. Well, we're still looking at uh, in excess of seven, pushing eight million bale carryover. Uh, you're still looking at 105 million bale carryover in the world. So prices. Uh, prices are just in the tube. I'm not going to pick a bottom. Not smart enough to pick one. But down in the low 50s, uh, historically, when we've had numbers like this, we've been in the 40s. Uh, I don't see the market going to the 40s. Uh, I, I, I think we have too much enthusiasm if we think, well, it's going to turn around next month. It's going to turn around next month. So here, where we are now is near the top. Uh, I've been asking to hedge any time above 63 cents, not waiting on 65, uh, and and I'll stick with that. And just uh, unfortunately, and hope so much that I'm wrong. I, I I think we go back down at least to the mid 50s. And as Kip said, uh, fundamentally, the history history tells us that it, it goes for living at least into the low 50s and maybe lower. Thank you. Okay, well, let's wrap this up. Um, we want to uh, 
thank our speakers, Zoe, thanks for leading us, and to the rest of our Cotton panel for joining us today. We also, again, want to recognize and thank our sponsors, FiberMax and Stoneville, and also Cotton Incorporated. Uh, and that concludes this edition of the Ag Market Network. Thanks for being with us. Thank you.